So when we first encounter um, this timeless, eternal sense of awareness, um, it can be surprising. And for some people, it might have this just um, stark beauty of sort of crystalline clarity without, um, without form. And for other people, it might feel more like um, an absence, um, not quite knowing what it is. Well, in either case, we don't know what it is. But um, when it's seen just as, a, as an absence, um, it can be a little off-putting, right? Like, maybe not what we first signed up for. But in either case, in almost all instances, what is seen um, at first is, is, is the whole picture in one sense. You can't see part of awareness because um, awareness is inherently whole. But um, when we come back into the um, normal thinking mind state, it um, may feel distant or incomprehensible, or we, we're not quite sure what that was. And um, so the um, learning just to be in that state of awareness and resting in that state as that state um, and being comfortable doing that um, and allowing our the magnificence of that to be um, revealed to our more human form over a period of time. Um, just, just take some time. Doesn't happen overnight. So there, there's the paradox right there. It's, it's. Um, we talked, I believe, a couple of weeks ago about um, being and becoming. So in one sense, the awareness already is already complete. Doesn't need any improvement. Already full. Already done. Always has been. But the body-mind is, um, with its greater density of form, um, just takes some time to get on board with all of that. And there's a certain amount of resistance to doing that. Um, just because of our, our beliefs, there's nothing inherent um, in the, in the body-mind that would do that other than our beliefs that we have about um, who we are. And a, a resistance to um, allowing ourselves to discover who we really are. So that can take some time. So that's that's the paradox of it. Um, I was once uh, watching a, a dynamite blast, and um, from about a mile away, it was a huge blast. And um, the when the blast went off. Um, the, I mean, it just spewed rock, large rock for several hundred yards. It was just immense. Um, but from a mile away, it was all happening in silence because it took about five seconds for the sound of the blast to reach where I was standing from a mile away. 
So that's sort of the difference between seeing something immediately and then um, taking a greater amount of time for the to penetrate the, the denser level of these body minds. So what can be seen in a moment uh, through awakening um, might take the body some time, not just five seconds, but maybe five years. <laughs> maybe as um, they recommend in Zen, maybe 10 to 15 years to, to fully um, acclimate to that new perspective. And, and I would say that's about right. You know, it sound, it, that can sound disheartening when you first hear it, but um, when, there, when we have recognized what we truly are, every, everything is good. <laughs> everything is good. There's still more to learn, but there's also a sense of, and it's also fine and complete now. Um, you know, so again, the paradox, it's, it's complete. Um, our identity has been settled. There's no more questions about what that is. Um, there um, may be, you know, the, the sense of seeking out of a, a sense of not enough. That, that's dropped away. And um, there, there can be just this uh, very comforting sense of um, being at home, finally coming home. So all of that's true and cannot really be forgotten. And yet at the same time, paradoxically enough, again, the um, ego... <laughs> can quietly slip in and um, we find ourselves caught in its embraces once again. And, and we find that really surprising. Um, but it's, it's actually good to know that that's not only possible, but very likely. Um, it's, it would be very unlikely that we would wake up and the ego would be just simply down for the count and never to be seen again. That would be very, very unusual. So um, it's good to know that that can happen. Um, there's also uh, very commonly this sense of, um, I, I had it, I, I, I got it, and then I lost it. Back and forth moments of, of deep clarity where it seems impossible to not see it in the future. Um, and then sometime in the future, we wondered where it went. So there's, there's both that can be happening, you know, the, the clear knowing of our identity and yet um, this movement of, of ego uh, returning, um, the sense of I got it and I lost it. So um, there's also the possibility that if we had learned or believed that enlightenment was the finish line, you know, that once there, everything, it was done, right? Happily ever after, eternal bliss. Um, but that's, that's not true, actually. It would be more true to say that um, 
the experience of awakening is actually the beginning of the true spiritual journey rather than the end. It's the end of one one phase of the journey, you could say, but certainly the beginning of another. And the beginning of the other is how to learn to live from this awakeness that um, we realize that we are. So that, that awakeness can be noticed, can be felt, can be experienced. Um, it is not knowable in the usual sense of the word. It will ever be mysterious in a certain sense, but that doesn't mean that it's not intimate, um, that it's not, uh, that it can't be experienced. It can certainly be experienced and it's felt um, as the most intimate possible thing. And yet it will ever, forever remain mysterious because it's not a thing to be looked at, grasped, understood. But it can be experienced. It can be lived from. And that's the whole, um, you could say, second part of the journey, returning full circle. So during this period, it can also be um, confusing because um, many of the things that we were used to doing or, or um, activities that we used to like um, change. <laughs> so we can find ourselves feeling a little odd having a conversation with people. Suddenly, even though we might be a good conversationalist, suddenly we um, feel like what we say feels clumsy or we don't know what to say or it doesn't make sense to say the things that we used to say. Um, or maybe we can't find the same juice doing the things that used to give us juice, you know, the same motivation, the same um, interests. Maybe, maybe our friends aren't the same as the friends that we used to have, not out of any kind of meanness, but just because, um, um, you know, relating in a certain way just didn't um, seem to make as much sense as maybe it once did. You know, where we seek a different kind of relationship, maybe something more authenticity. Or maybe we just seek, you know, being alone, whereas we never did that before. And that can feel strange. So there's a, a lot of um, new things happening after what might be called an additional uh, awakening. So it's a little bit like... Um, um, being born, right? There's life in the womb, and then we're born. And who we were before birth and who we are after we were born are the same being. We haven't, you know, our essential self is still the same. And yet um, we're faced with having to learn a whole different um, uh, ways of interacting with our environment. We have to learn to stand up. We have to learn to walk. Um, we have to learn all kinds of things that we didn't have to know um, previously. So it can feel almost like that, like uh, just like I'm not sure quite how to do this. It feels a little strange. 
<laughs> so that may be surprising too. We may have thought that, you know, once there was enlightenment, we'd just be really good at doing everything, but it doesn't quite feel like that. Again, there's this, um, there's this awkwardness, but there's also just this deep sense of um, everything's good. Everything's really good. And um, so that, that's a little odd as well, just the, these two um, very different movements. But they're coming from different places. Um, one's coming from knowing what we essentially are. And the other one is the body, the mind, trying to figure out what just happened. Right. And the body-mind will try to um, sort of pull our attention back into its domain. Um, and this, this movement um, back is, it's almost like um, there used to be some ads for that Disney put out. And uh, I think the, the person in the ad was a football star. They just won the Super Bowl. And the ad says, well, what are you going to do next? And they said, go to Disneyland. Right. So this is sort of what the mind does where, you know, you've, you've just been given the keys to the sanctuary. And then the mind comes back in and says, yeah, but what's next? You know, and that's it. There's just a certain momentum behind that. You know, this momentum of maybe years and years, probably decades of, you know, wanting something from life, seeking whether in the worldly world or in the spiritual world, same, same seeking, essentially. So there's a certain momentum around that. And when suddenly there's, there's no reason to seek anything, um, the thinking mind can come back in and says, well, now that you're awake, why not enjoy, you know, an extra serving of ice cream or whatever, you know, the next, you know, enhance it even more, you know, and that's just the ego of mind, just wanting, wanting more, always more. Um, so the question is, well, you know, given all these, this uh, confusing activity in the midst of a deep awakening where everything's just fine, um, you know, what do I do? And uh, I mean, the short answer is just, you know, spend time loitering in that awareness. Just be with it. Rest in it. Pass it. Nothing to do. Now, this is where the, the Advaita instruction of nothing to do, nowhere to go, actually makes total sense because it feels like everything is done, everything is complete. The, the world is still the same. You know, my, you know, my, whatever issues I might be having that I have to deal with and, you know, some unpaid bill or some unresolved situation, those, those, those don't disappear overnight. And the world certainly doesn't change. What changes is our perspective. Because we can see the, um, that the world is as it is. It must be as it is because that is 
exactly how it is. And it's not out of a sense of resignation. It's almost out of um, a recognition of the perfection of that. Um, I know that might sound odd to say, but that's that's the feeling of it. So what happens is when we've recognized our true nature, um, there's a sense that the seeking um, ceases, just drops away. And there was a, um, when I was about 12 years old, um, in, in just the, you know, town newspaper, they had a little riddle every day. You know, they were really on about my level, you know, 12-year-old. Um, but this one riddle just struck me, and I, I remember it after all these years. Um, but the, the riddle was, um, if you've lost your keys and you're looking for your keys, why are they always in the last place you look? And the answer, of course, is you don't, you stop looking after you found your keys. So they're in the last place that you look. And, um, but it's sort of like that with seeking is when you found uh, and recognize your essential identity, that seeking drops away because you found what you were looking for. Right? So it's not, it's not like um, it requires effort to stop seeking any more than it would take effort to stop looking for your keys after you found them. You know, it just doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, can't possibly motivate you anymore. So it drops away. The thing is when um, seeking drops away, so does the seeker. Because it's really all one movement. There's seeker, we, we split it up with words and mental images, but there, you know, we talk about the seeker, seeking, and the sought, what we're seeking, the object of our search, right? Noun, verb, <laughs> object, right? Seeker, seeking, sought. But when one drops away, when seeking drops away, so does the seeker. So does the object of our search. All of it drops away together. So then we're then we're left with, okay. <laughs> so what do I do? Right? It's always been the question before, you know, how do I keep pushing this journey along? You know, just What's the next step? That psychological movement is why teachings that tell you about the 10 levels or whatever are so entrancing. You know, the mind likes that. Okay, what level am I at? What do I need to do to get to the next one? Right. But when when the goal has been reached, it's not really a goal because you were that all along, but when that has been recognized, um, you're suddenly left with nothing to do. There can, there can be the odds, and sometimes people even say, well, then what will I do with all my spare time? And it can feel like that, like everything's, everything's complete, everything's done. You know, what's the motivation to do anything? 
There could be that movement or there can be that movement of the body mind that feels a little restless and a little uncomfortable with that, you know, suddenly finding oneself in that position. In other words, we can either re really enjoy it or, or sort of stress ourselves about it. Okay, so that's sort of the, the setting for um, when we, you know, first come into um, awakeness, right? So, you know, the instruction, the basic instruction, as I said, is just to, is just to rest as that awareness, not, not, nothing else is needed, right? And just allow that to reveal itself more and more. Um, but there are, there are a few things that are helpful instructions, I'd say. Um, and the first one is not to demand um, the fruits of enlightenment. So by fruits, I just mean, you know, spectacular spiritual revelations. Um, totally quiet mind, you know, all our problems dissolve, um, perpetually high state. Eternal bliss, those, those kind of those kind of perks, right? They may they may come, but if we're grasping for it, the only thing that is grasping for um, those experiences is of course ego. Coming back into the picture, you know, with the idea, well, you know, if I'm enlightened, then I ought to be having these experiences as proof of my Awakening. Right. So this again, the, the mind coming back in, wanting to, um, thinking that it knows what awakeness is, or wanting it to be a certain way. So um, this awareness, especially when it's first encountered, is um, you could say almost that it's featureless. Like, well, it is formless after all. So it's, it doesn't have at the attributes of form other than um, a knowingness or an aliveness. Um, but it's, um, it's just that quality um, as that awareness moves. Um, but in itself, it, especially when we first encounter it, it can feel um, more like an absence or an emptiness. It's not that at all. But that's what it can feel like. But we just need a little patience. It's um, like, you know, awareness can be a little shy that way. You know, it's, uh, she's sort of not willing to take all her clothes off on the first date. And um, not that there's any kind of armoring there at all, but what's really being asked for is that we um, allow ourselves to be there um, uh, naked of concepts. Right? That's, that's what's being asked for. Um, and it's, it's not a technique, right? We're not sort of resting as awareness without, without a goal, without, you know, a desire as a technique to get to a different place. It's just really, um, really being there 
without the goal. I mean, the, the goal and the movement and the wanting is, is still all coming from, you know, our grasping mind. But when we're just um, resting as that awareness, uh, it is as it is. There's not a goal to it. It's not a technique. It's just resting as awareness, period. That's what it is. But resting as that allows something else. And one of the things that it allows is just to see, give our chance, <clears throat> give ourselves a chance to see ever more clearly um, what that awareness really is, what it feels like, what's the nature of it. Because again, it's not, it's, it, the, the, the awareness is complete, right? But our body's, mind's ability to um, grasp more fully what that is um, won't happen overnight. So we just need to spend some time, get to know it. Not know it as an object, but just become familiar with it. Okay, uh, the other thing that we can do is um, notice the tendency to ask, okay, but what's next? As, as if this uh, recognition of our fundamental nature as awareness was just, you know, just a um, quick stop on the road. It's, it's much more than that. Um, there's still more to be seen, but that, that restlessness of the mind to want to move on to the next step um, as if the next step will somehow be more and better um, uh, disregards the immensity of the recognition of our essential nature. So it's just um, necessary just to take take our time. The mind just wants something exciting, you know, the next thing. But, you know, excitement can be overrated. You know, like if you were in a car that was uh, skidding on an icy mountain road, that's exciting, but it's not necessarily something that we would desire. Right? Um, and um, it's almost as if on a cellular level, like, like almost maybe like coming off an addiction, at a cellular level, it takes a while um, for the cells to get used to a lower, um, uh, a, a less stimulating environment. Yeah. It's almost if you spend hours a day texting and suddenly you lost your cell phone, you know, there's that anxiousness that, that um, you know, if you give up your cell phone for two weeks, you know, it would begin to settle down, more like that. So we can notice this, the body mind's tendency to um, react to this sort of remaining at ease, present for this um, awareness, formless awareness. Um, without attributes. Right? And so I've talked about this before, but it's, it's, it's 
it's good to remember it in these situations. There's several techniques that the mind, the body mind is really good at to distract us from just being present for presence. One is um, getting sleepy. One is arguing with it. Um, another is just physical restlessness, jitteriness. Um, Yeah, so we can just recognize those and, and see, okay, it's the mind's need to um, sort of react. Because the mind doesn't like this. The thinking mind and its identity um, uh, may not understand awareness at all, but it, it knows what it is. It knows what it is in the sense of it's beyond its grasp. It doesn't actually know what it is at all, but it it recognizes a threat to its existence. And so it doesn't, it doesn't mind the, the uh, spiritual journey. It just doesn't like the destination. Um, okay, so this, this movement um, towards, um, you know, away from this tendency of what's next or more better or more exciting um, is, is to relax into trusting um, our awareness, because the tendency might be like, well, if I if I just don't do anything and just hang out in this awareness, nothing nothing more will happen. But that's not true. What is true is that at this point in the journey, um, what's no longer needed is all of the efforting that may have gone before. And the territory that we're talking about here tonight is is allowing, right? Just allowing the awareness to be as it is and resting and resting there. Because the awareness knows infinitely better how to navigate this territory than the brain ever will. The brain doesn't know it at all, can't know it. Um, because the the brain, as far as we can consciously know of it, um, deals in concepts, deals in words, deals in ideas. And what we're talking about here in terms of awareness has nothing to do with concepts and ideas and words. So the two are worlds apart. The body-mind can, over time, um, uh, come more and more into an alignment with this awareness, um, really dropping down into the role of, of a very useful servant. But to get there, it has to be willing. We have to be willing to allow it to um, uh, give up its managerial role. It won't do it um, willingly. All we can do is, is see every tendency that it has to hold on to that role and just see it for what it is. Okay, another way, um, another thing that's useful at this stage is to recognize um, the possibility of lapsing back into ego. Um, and this is, uh, you know, people can feel like, you know, why is this happening? You know, I was awake and now I can see that I've been caught up in, you know, my ego tendencies. It happens. It happens frequently. It happens to nearly everyone. 
I say nearly everyone because it's hard to make absolute statements about life, but um, nearly everyone. So uh, the sense of lapsing into, uh, you know, an egoic state, it, it can feel like I've lost my awakeness. But that would be like saying, you know, on a, on a sunny day and um, suddenly some clouds roll in and you can't see the sun anymore. You know, nobody calls 911 and says the sun is missing. <laughs> nobody does that. But the same, when the same thing happens in their spiritual life, you know, they had awareness and then, you know, then they go to a spiritual teacher and they say, I, I was aware, I was awake, and then I lost it. <laughs> you know? And the, the only question is, what was present while they were telling this teacher that they had lost their awareness? There's awareness, right? It was fully present in that moment and when the person was insisting that they had lost it. So it's it's like, you know, saying, well, the clouds are proof that the sun has vacated the universe. No, the problem isn't with the awareness at all. The clouds in this case are our beliefs, um, have just obscured our view of what is always and already present. And we believe the beliefs, and we believe that as long as they're present, awareness is absent. Not so. It's just the next belief, right? So the the movement here is, um, you know, you could call it stabilizing awareness, but it's not really that at all. It's really stabilizing um, our tendency to be pulled into thought. That's that's what is really happening. And um, but I'd suggest that 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 actually has a benefit because it's almost like we're playing hide and seek with ourselves, right? We hide, you know, hide in our in our concepts and our beliefs, and then we have to find our way back home again. And we do it again and again. So every time we find our way back home, we sort of the path gets more well trodden. So the good news is we're always hiding in the same place. It makes it easier. So each time we we find ourselves again, it's like, oh, that's where I'll remember the next time. And then we forget. And then we find our way back. Oh, yeah, that's right. I know. So this, this movement, you know, we can be discouraged by it like, you know, like somehow I've gone, you know, taken a spiritual detour. Um, to have gotten gotten lost in my egoic state, but it actually has value because it um, it reminds us again and again um, that awareness is always present, and we really go looking for it and notice that it's it's still there, and it's still there the next time, that it's never absent. Eventually, we recognize that never absent, even while thought is happening. Um, 
so this this movement of I got it and I lost it. Um, I used to work with a, a friend of mine called uh, Maya, and uh, one day she and I came up with this acronym. It was IGI, ILI, itis. I got it. I lost it. Itis. IGI, ILI, itis. Iggy, Eile, <laughs> Iggy, Eile, itis. Sort of the inflammation of the belief that I lost my awareness. So that's what it is. It's just it's just a belief. It's just like um, suddenly uh, the cloud of a concept rolls in, obscures the sun, and we believe the sun is missing. Just that. Okay. So we it's good to recognize that that can happen. Often does, and um, see it as a um, uh, an ability to uh, an opportunity to learn. Uh, to trace our way back to awareness, not as a, def uh, uh, a deficit somehow. Okay, um, another one is is holding on to the experience. Right? So this was um, advice that I got from Adyashanti, and at the time I didn't really understand it, but the advice was um, um, with awakening, don't try to hold on to it. And didn't I mean it? It's it sounds totally counterproductive. You know, you spend decades seeking seeking enlightenment, and then it happens, and every fiber in your body wants to hold on to it, right? And uh, but I remember the teaching. You know, when that shift happened, um, there's a glorious few days, and then I could feel it that energetic component of it receding, and. Um, and I remembered the teaching. I didn't understand it when I heard it, but I remembered it um, when that uh, energetic component was sort of, you could feel it sort of receding like the tide going out. And um, you want to hold on to it. <laughs> you don't want to, you think, I've worked so hard for this. I don't want to just let it go. But um, somehow, for some reason, I trusted that advice without um, really understanding it at the time, um, but not not holding on to it, being willing to just let it let it be, let it let it recede. And what I what I realized later was that any holding on to it is just the ego wanting to maintain the experience, and the experience isn't can never be enlightenment, just experience. What the enlightenment aspect of it is, is what is present for that awareness, that whatever that experience is. Okay, so, um, you know, holding on to that experience is sort of like, um, um, you know, if you're at a, let's say you're at a, uh, party and everybody's having a good time, maybe a, a dinner party. Everybody's laughing, joking, talking, having a great time. And suddenly someone says, oh, aren't we having a great time? And suddenly everything stops. Everybody checks and becomes self-conscious. And then suddenly this, you know, sort of silent blanket descends over the room. Everybody's become self-conscious and um, 
not in the flow of that interaction anymore. So when we when we try to hold on, to, you know, grasp, characterize an experience, it's a form of grasping it. And um, I don't know, experience doesn't like that. It likes to the freedom of movement. So um, you know, any any time we try to hold on to that experience, you know, hold on to the spiritual experience rather than that that old worldly experience. Um, it's like you know, taking a pendulum and insisting that it only swing this way and not the other way. You know, it, it doesn't do that. It's not natural for it to do that. It's natural for it to move as it will, and it, and it does move. Okay, um, another piece of advice for this period of um, um, acclimatizing to awakeness is um, not to talk about it. Again, there's this sort of almost overwhelming tendency to tell people about it. Tell your friends, you know, tell your parents or your kids, you know, as a way that they'll um, see, understand you at last. And, you know, and you'll be the person conveying um, this road to enlightenment to them. Um, but the reason for this caution not to talk about it um, is that, especially when it's sort of fresh and tender, then any tendency to talk about it um, puts it into, conceptualizes it, right? Puts it into words, ideas, which is not it, right? And when it's fresh, it's, it's very easy to get pulled back into concepts or memories of it rather than the lived experience of it. And what has the value is, is just staying with the lived experience. Um, there's also the, you know, there's the, the movement. It can feel like um, a sense of wanting to be special, to being known as um, the person that has awakened, you know, so that, that movement um, can be suspect, right? The other thing is if you publicly announce your enlightenment too soon before it's really stabilized in a way, um, and then one day this egoic tendency comes back in and people see you acting like that, then what do you do? You know, do you fess up? You know, do you acknowledge your egoic tendency or you try to sweep it under the rug and then deal with your inauthenticity, you know? So it's better just to just to let it let it unfold at the rate it will. And again, the the Zen um, suggestion is, you know, give it give it ten or fifteen years. And I'd say that's about right. You know, it's not like you're waiting ten or fifteen years because all along everything has that sense of completeness, completeness, but yet still learning. You know, still, still more and more being revealed, and yet at each moment it feels complete. So it doesn't feel like you're waiting ten or fifteen years, but you know you're just being reserved, let's say, during that time. Not like you you never say anything about it, but be be really 
careful with whom you talk about it. Most people won't understand it. Um, okay, last thing is not to use awakening for anything else. Right? It's not a skill set. You know, it doesn't it doesn't make you better at doing other things. Um, but there is this sort of energetic surge, like suddenly all this newfound energy, you know, because you're not squandering it on all these um, um, mental arguments with yourself. Um, and there's also the sense of having the shackles taken off, like um, sense of being beyond harm, um, being, you know, powerful in a sense. Um, and that can be misinterpreted. So there have been more than a few spiritual teachers who have uh, had a genuine awakening and um, and then get seduced by, well, there's all kinds of beliefs to be seduced by, but um, one that's particularly dangerous is um, I am now awake, therefore what I do is perfect or right. Yeah. No, no. You may be awake, but your opinions before you were awake, you know, are no, the ones after awakening are no better than the ones you had before. You know, they're just opinions, right? Just another thought, right? Again, awakeness is what's knowingly present of whatever that thought process happens to be. Um you know, so it doesn't, just waking up doesn't make you a whiz at something else. I mean, you know, it doesn't allow you to, I don't know, solve differential equations. You know, if you couldn't sing before awakening, you can't sing afterwards. Um, you know, it's just, it's just awake. That's what it is. And so this, um, what we're talking about here is just being present for that awakeness. That's what's, that's what's being asked for. Just that sort of lingering there often, right? Loitering in awakeness. Without wanting anything, without rejecting anything, without demanding anything not holding anything. Not for any purpose other than to become more and more familiar with being that. So it's sort of like, um, you know, finding yourself inside the sanctuary. Um, and yet, not being able to see very far yet. Sanctuary is complete, but as a more dense body-mind, it, it will just take some time to see, see it in more of a completeness. The Sufis call it the dazzling dark, right? Dazzling and yet mysterious. It, 
we can experience it, we can live from it, but we will never know it. And we can relax in that. We can learn to live from that, as that. More will happen, but more will happen more easily by just resting and allowing, allowing that awareness to work its magic. And we won't even know how it's doing that. <laughs> but it knows what it's doing. We can trust that. 